as we are getting started today, I want to remind you again to continue to be praying for revival. We are each week taking a different aspect of what it looks like to be a revived congregation and asking God to do it. And so the summation, if you look in your bulletin, the revival prayer is there. And uh, leaders, I want to remind you to, to come at the end of the service and pray for this. But the one sentence encapsulates it. Plead that God will give the believers a deeper love for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what our text is about today. That's what this whole idea of, of, of having a life of confidence, where it comes from. Let's pray now and ask God's help to understand this. Lord, as we look at, look at this text, we're, we're dealing with wolves that Paul is seeking to protect the church from. So would you allow us today to understand the meaning of your scripture, that we might have a greater confidence in the way of life you're calling us to. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This way of life is what we call a divine life. It's a life that is supernatural that's given to us. It's deeply, deeply spiritual, but very, very practical. And when we, we have a sense of, of, of how this whole thing works and it becomes simple to us, it's then that it becomes that we become confident. So when, when you get the mastery of something and you say to yourself, well, this is simple, then you have this confidence to do it. We, we experience, I experienced something very weird this, this week anyway. Um, we sent our son uh, away to college. We sent him away. He left without me going. And it was great and awful all at the same time. For the last two years, we were there, we moved to stuff, we met the people, we were right a part of it. And then, you know, a, a week or so ago, I was like, well, buddy, uh, how are we going to do this, this moving thing? He said, well, dad, don't need you to go. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, you'll sort of be in the way. And I was like, well, fine, I don't like you anyway. But I miss him so much, but I'm so proud of him because the last two years, it's like, this is how you get there. This is what you do when you get there. This year, he, it's simple to him. He gets it. So he moved himself, moved his stuff in. We're going to talk to him tonight. Apparently he's alive. I mean, it's going to be great. But that's what happens though. When you understand something and it becomes simple to you, you become confident in it. I remember the first time I uh, set in a Greek class. Our professor said, turn in your Greek New Testaments to 1 John, which I couldn't find because it was all Greek. And this is what it looked like. And he began to read this and translate it. And I uh, began to almost cry and throw up all over myself. Because I thought, I, I can't get this. I don't know this. But you know what happened? In a matter of weeks, I'd learn what all these letters sound like. And I began to form them into the words that they make. And I began to learn the vocabulary. By getting the, the simple aspects of it, I can now do etymological studies that me and Jesus and maybe my mom care about. But I can do it. And, and what it happens, though, is, is that you understand this is, this is not real common. It's just like it's not, it's not hard. It's simple once you get it. See, I know some of you, when you think about the idea of the Bible and God, maybe your life in mix of that, it's what it looks like to you. It's like a bunch of squiggly lines, and you're wondering, how does this all interconnect, and what does this mean, and what does this say, and, and how am I supposed to do it? That's what we're learning in this series. We're learning how to live this divine life. And what we're going to get today is the fact that, that this thing, it's, it's, it's simple. And once we get to the simple facts of what it's about and we really do get it, 
we are going to be so confident. Now, we have every reason to feel insecure about our life. I mean, the world is crazy, our wonderful, but sometimes crazy family and jobs can make things crazy. Then we're also dealing with us, our sin, our own frustrations, the unmet expectations. All this stuff can just kind of cloud what, what could be a very blessed life. And what we need to do is got to get back to the basics. And once we get a hold of the basics, what we'll sense is a confidence that comes from the simplicity of knowing that we know. Now, what we see in our text today are, are the lies of the world, the desires of the flesh, the flesh, and the delusions of the devil. And if we can get the basics of what this text is about, oh my friends, the confidence that can be ours. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, go with me now to Colossians chapter two. Colossians chapter two, we're gonna be in verses 16 through 23. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in front of you. Feel free to use your iPhones, iPads, whatever. I'm gonna be using mine. Let's all stand together as Kaylee comes to read for us God's word. Again, this is Colossians chapter two, and uh, we are in verses 16 through 23. Kaylee, if you would go ahead and read that for us. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his own sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Thank you, Kelly. If you would go ahead and, and be seated. Again, this is uh, scripture written by the Apostle Paul, who was in prison. Epaphras had come to minister to him and at the same time told him what was going on with the church at Colossae and informed Paul that there were some wolves some wolves that had entered into the vicinity of the church at Colossae and they were causing great confusion. And so again, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul writes this letter and, and he gives this to help them understand the confidence that all who follow Jesus can have. Now, please understand, write this down and get this. Confidence is the product of simplicity. When you get something and it's simple, it makes, it makes you confident and it's so great. By way of illustration, I remind you again of a text we looked at last week, Romans chapter 10, verse nine. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's amazing what happens to your life when you get to the point where you believe Jesus is Lord. See, once you believe that Jesus is Lord, there's a whole host of decisions that are made for you. Things that you don't even have to worry about anymore and give to consideration because, because Jesus is your Lord, you're going to obey him and not the desires of the flesh or the lives of the world. 
See, once, once Jesus is Lord, you, you understand that, that God has a plan for everything you're going to. You may not understand it. It may look like Greek to you, but you know that God understands it. And because Jesus is your Lord, you can trust in his plan. So you don't have to waste headspace on worry and all the other stuff that you can't control. You're free. You're liberated. And so now you're confident and you know who you are. You're not defined by what you can produce or what you can make others think or feel about you. No, 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 no. Once you know that Jesus is Lord, you know that you're the servant of the high king of heaven and you get to walk with him in constant peace. And that makes life so confident. And when you're walking in life in this way, there is a confidence. Our text today shows us what confident Christians are like. There's three things I want you to take note of. There's quite a bit of of theology and bibliology I I want you to get today. So really hang with me as we're digging into some some deep realities that you need to have a handle on. Understand this and write it down. Keep note. Confident Christians simply know Scripture. It's that simple, friends. It begins in verse 16 with a very important word, therefore. Therefore. Understand, anytime you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to ask yourself a question. What's it there for? It's pointing back to something. And what the text is pointing back to are the preceding verses, verses 8 through 15. And those verses basically say Jesus Christ is the victor. He has defeated sin and death. And so what we're about to look at now is built on the foundation of that gospel. Now, verses 16 and 17, one of the commentators I read this week said that this, these two verses basically sum up the entire book of Hebrews. So good news, if you've ever been troubled by the book of Hebrews, here these two verses basically explain the whole thing. And here's what the whole thing says. Trust Jesus alone. That's what the whole book of Hebrews is about. And that's what these verses are, are calling us to do. Paul was dealing with wolves and this wasn't his first rodeo. Paul had dealt and he was aware of wolves, meeting with the church uh, leaders, the elders of Ephesus on the Isle of Miletus. uh, He had this conversation with them. Look what Paul said back then. I know that after my departure, he was going to Jerusalem to turn in the offering for the struggling church there. He said, fierce wolves will come in among you. What are fierce wolves? They are those who are not sparing the flock. They attack God's people. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. That's what wolves do. They speak twisted things to draw away the the disciples after them. Paul is writing to this church and he's talking about these wolves. Who are, who are calling the people to take their eyes off of Jesus and to buy into their special teaching. They are lying to them. They are causing confusion to them. And it's interesting the tactic that they're using. They're using the same tactic that the devil used with Jesus when he was in the desert being tempted by him. You remember in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was led into the desert. Interesting, it was after his baptism. And the whole, it says that in, in, in chapter 3 that the Holy Spirit led him into the desert where he was without food for 40 days. And then the devil came to tempt him. And if you'll remember, the way the devil sought to tempt Jesus was by quoting the Old Testament law. Quoting from the book of Deuteronomy, he was throwing laws out of him. Now, this is what these wolves in Colossae were doing. 
They were throwing the law. Look at it. It says, uh, don't let anyone pass judgment on you. Questions about food and drink with regard to a festival or a new moon Sabbath. It's talking about two aspects of the law that no longer apply to new covenant Christians. It's so important that you get this. When you're reading the Old Testament, you're going to come across three types of law, all right? Two of them no longer apply to New Covenant Christians. So three kinds of law. There's theocratic law. By the way, we're going to post these on uh, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram later. So if you don't get all of it, don't worry about it. We're going to post it. There's theocratic law. There's ceremonial law. These two no longer apply to New Covenant Christians. And then there's moral law. Let me quickly explain them. Theocratic law. Laws specific to the people who lived in the theocratic nation of Israel. In the Old Testament, there was a theocratic nation, a nation truly under God. They're, they were to be ruled by the king of heaven. And in 1 Samuel 9 and 10, that's when a king was posted, but that was the desires of the people, the sinful desires of the people. It was God's intention that the people be ruled under his kingship. And that's what a theocratic nation is. We don't live in a theocratic nation. We are now under the authority of Jesus Christ. We're in a family. Second law that no longer applies to us is ceremonial law. Laws uh, specified to the tabernacle and temple worship and practice. We no longer go to a temple or tabernacle for an atonement for our sin. We no longer have to go to a physical place in order to experience God. It is now by grace, through faith in Christ alone, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we have access to God. The ceremonial laws no longer apply to new covenant Christians. The third aspect does apply, and that is the moral law. Laws for all people for all time that lead to human thriving. Now, if you'll notice, the, these wolves, they, they do not speak to the moral law here. We are still under the moral law, but these, these yahoos, they don't even mention it. They're, they're talking about things that have to do with food and drink, these, these theocratic laws, this having to do with a festival or, or a new moon Sabbath that have to do with the way people were to, to worship and these ceremonial laws. We are still under the moral law. Romans chapter 3, verse 31 reminds us of that. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Paul is dealing with people who are being, who are being taught there in Rome, hey, if, if you live by faith, if you have faith in Jesus, you can, you can live like hell. And it doesn't matter because you're forgiven. It's fine. That's a law. That's a lie. That, that type of, of thinking is what is called, big word, antinomianism. Anti, which, which means no, and then nomianism, namos, law. No law. That is not true. That is not what new covenant Christians who believe the Bible believe. We believe what Paul says here. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? Do we say that, that the law no longer applies to us? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. We obey the moral law of God. But what these guys were talking about was the theocratic and the ceremonial law. Those laws point to Jesus Christ. And he is, and notice what your scripture says there. He is the, the substance. The substance belongs to Christ. He is the fulfillment of it. Listen to what Jesus said about himself. Matthew 5, 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Listen to what else he said in Luke 24. This is after his resurrection, beginning in verse 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
Then he opened the, their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus said, I am the fulfillment of the scriptures. The scriptures are about Jesus. When you're reading the Bible, the Bible is about Jesus Christ. He is the hero. So when he was calling disciples to himself, he met Philip. And Philip went and told his brother Nathaniel about Jesus. And look what he said in John chapter 1, verse 45. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the, the son of Joseph. And, and so what we see here is, is the reality that Jesus Christ did not come to abolish the law, to, but to fulfill the law. The theocratic and ceremonial law were, were pointing to the fulfillment and the coming of Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is the means by which we have access to God. Now, those of us who are in Christ under his authority, now we can know him and we can know what we are to do. Friends, if you don't know scripture, you don't know what to do. If you don't know scripture, you will be easily duped. There are people who can take this Bible and manipulate you to believe what is not true. That's what was happening at the church of Colossae. It's what happens still today. We must know the scriptures. And, and those who know the scriptures and, and simply look at what they say about Jesus Christ, our Lord, friends, there is a confidence. Confident Christians get it. They simply know scripture. Secondly, confident Christians simply love Jesus. It's not complicated, friends. It's simple. These wolves, they were causing confusion because they were making uh, everything in, in the church uh, uh, about anything but Jesus. And I love, I love what he says. Is, Don't let anyone disqualify you. Verse 18, the New King James Version is great. Don't let anybody cheat you. That's what, that's what wolves do. They, they cheat you out of the blessings and the promises given to us in Scripture by the love of Jesus Christ. Rather than focusing on Jesus, there were three things I want you to see in the text that they were trying to get the church to focus on. First of all, asceticism. Uh, if you have the NIV, it's a, it's a better phrase, but we'll use the ESV, which, which really speaks to the, the actual Greek word there. And, and what it basically means, it sounds weird, but it's, it's delighting in self-abasement. It's, uh, it's, it's looking humble and, and, and hard worked and taking pride in it. Jesus hated this. And if you want to find Jesus speaking harsh to people, it was to people who were buying into asceticism. One example is Matthew 6, 16. Jesus said, and when you fast, which by the way, fasting is a good spiritual discipline. When you fast, don't look gloomy like the hypocrites. For they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Ascetics want everyone to know how hard it is to, to be them. How hard it is they serve God and how much, check this, God owes them because of all that they have done to, to cause difficulty for themselves. Instead of focusing on Jesus, these wolves were trying to get them to focus on asceticism. Secondly, on worship of angels. Understand, any worship other than Father, Son, Holy Spirit is idolatry. And what they were basically saying is Jesus Christ is not enough. 
you need to pray also to angels. And this, this is the same principle that, that we need to hold to, is that we pray to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. To pray to any other human being is idolatry. Understand the theology of humanity. Human beings are not omnipresent. They're not present at all times. They are creatures. They are in a single place with a single soul. If there is a person who has died, that person is either in glory with God or in hell, but they are present there, not near us. Praying to them is idolatry. Angels are not omnipresent, although they are powerful. They are not God. Seeking to get guidance from another human being that is not the God-man Jesus Christ or angels is idolatry. And what these wolves were doing was saying, hey, yeah, it's good that you got Jesus, but you need to add a little worship of angels into it. You know, you need to have some kind of super spiritual experience. You need to go on and detail about visions. You see, that's the third thing. You need to have these, these aesthetic experiences, and then you'll be in the cool Christians club. Now, make no mistake, there is, there is biblical fundamental foundation for supernatural experiences of the divine. If you look in 2 Corinthians 12, the apostle Paul spoke of his own experience. But friends, hear me. These are not authoritative. It's great that you can have these experiences, but experiences, we can easily be deceived by them. A, a dark angel, a demon could come and provide confusion through an experience. What is authoritative is the scriptures. We must know the scriptures. And the scriptures point to Jesus Christ. These three things, asceticism, worship of angels, uh, going, you know, the, these visions that they're talking about. Look what they, were do, look what they produce. They cause people to be puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Religious people... Not, not people who love Jesus, people who want to trust in religious programming and, and, and religious activities and rituals. Here's what always happens to them. They either, they either fall into pride or despair. Because if they think they have earned something from God by their asceticism because of the, the prayer thing they have going on with an angel or with this supernatural vision thing that they had. They, they, there's a pride that begins to build up into their hearts and there's always a fall when there's pride or despair because they hear everyone else is having these neat experiences. Everyone else has the, the cool kids club handshake and I'm not having all this stuff and so then they fall into despair. What the scripture teaches quite simply here is love Jesus. Love Jesus. And you know what happens if you love Jesus? You love who he loves. And God loves people. And so when you love Jesus, the, the, the result of that is the keeping of the moral law. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is answering a very simple question. You know, what is it that a man has to do to, to be able to, to really honor God? What's the greatest commandment? Beginning in verse 37. I know, it, yeah, no, yeah, nope, yes. And he said to him, no, that's it, go back, there you go. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now, I just want you to make a mental note of this. 
If you love God, you're gonna keep the first four of the big 10 commandments. All right, one through four, right there, done. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Five through 10 are kept when you love people. When you love God and you love people, you keep the entirety of the moral law. We obey the law of God when we choose to love Jesus. Listen to what Jesus said. This is John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You've heard me say this before, and I hope that you'll be catechized by this and get this. If you, if you love Jesus, I'm sorry, if you know Jesus, you'll love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you'll obey Jesus. So get it. If you know Jesus, you'll love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you will obey Jesus. Now, if you don't obey Jesus, it's because you don't love Jesus. And if you don't love Jesus, it's because you don't know Jesus. If you know the resurrected King of glory who died in your, for your sin, you're gonna love him. Now, if you just think he's a little helper, if you just think he's a, he's a little sideshow, if you don't honor him for the glorious God that he is who has died in your place and, and thereby saving you, and because he has done that for you, you love him. If that's not true, no, you're not gonna obey him. But if you know who he is and what he's done, you can't help but love him. And when you love him, you can't help but obey him. See, it is in knowing Jesus Christ that we find love. And when we love God, we, we obey God. So we got to know the scriptures so that we can know who Jesus is. Because when we know him, we love him. And when we love him, third thing happens. Confident Christians simply honor Christ. We honor Christ. These wolves, they were really encouraging this church to, to appear to be wise, to look like they've had some cool things going on. Verse 23 basically sums up everything they had to offer. Check that out. Look at verse 23. Look at all this asceticism, all this stuff with the angels, all these rules, all these ceremonial laws, all this stuff. At the end of the day, verse 23, they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. It doesn't do anything. You know what makes all the difference in the world? Knowing scripture, loving Jesus, and honoring Christ. You wanna make your life real simple and build confidence? Ask yourself a simple question in everything you do. Does this honor Christ? 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, and whatever you do, whether you eat or whatever you drink, whatever you do, glorify God. If you make your life about honoring Christ because you love Jesus according to his word, Friends, that makes things real simple. And once that becomes real simple to you, you have the confidence to go into this world. Some of you are wasting, you are wasting mental energy. You are wasting emotional energy, worrying about what is not your responsibility. If Jesus loves you, and he does, and he is all powerful and his plan is perfect. You have no reason to worry. 
If you're toying about with sin and you are wasting the resources of time and energy and you are causing harm not only to yourself but to other people, you are making your life complicated. And no way you're going to be confident. No way you're going to wake up each day and know the Lord is with me. The Lord has a plan for me. You want to be able to wake up every single morning and sing with all integrity, great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Not because I deserve it, but because of grace. Not because I've, I've bought into this asceticism, not because of my religious practices. See, what religious people believe is that God owes them. I cannot tell you how many people have walked away from church and God mad at God because they thought God owed them. God, I went to your church. God, I prayed to you. God, I tied. God, I did. I did. I did. Now you owe me. And when it doesn't happen, they claim to have been cheated. I love what we sing, what we sang, and what we're going to sing in just a second. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. What God has done for us is called grace. And if you want it, all you have to do is ask Jesus to forgive you and take your life. You want to be free, to be confident? Love the Lord, trust his word, honor him. If you're not doing that, come get before God on your knees this morning and say, Lord, I'm done worrying. I, I'm done disobeying you. I'm yours. I'm going to walk with you. And if you need help doing that, that's his specialty. You want to be strong? Then be weak by asking for help. When we are weak, then we are strong. When we are depending upon God, then we are strong. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, there's so much in your scripture. Oh, there are so, so many blessings in this. But God, thank you for the bit of time we've had today to open up your word and, and to see what, what the wolves would typically seek to take from us, take away from us, keep from us. Lord, we thank you for what you've done, Jesus. We thank you for the life that you alone can give. It's a life lived in confidence. It's a life of confidence in Christ alone because we love you, Jesus, and because your word explains to us who you are and what you've done. So here are those who want to come to you today, Lord, and ask for help, who want to come to you today and just say, Lord, I've made things real complicated trying to figure it all out. I trust you. I trust your plan. I trust your will. I trust your timing. And then, Lord, who, those who need to come and, and turn over their, their life and soul to you, bless them. Bless your leaders now as we come to pray for revival, Lord, for a greater love for you, Lord Jesus, that, that we might have a church filled with confident Christians. Come and pray as we sing together.